thankful for the time we have together, for the opportunity to be here to share, to open your word, to be challenged, to be encouraged. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to share the gospel literally around the world. Lord, I pray that you would help us to keep focused on what you've called us to do, to start here in this community, this area, this neck of the woods we call Jerusalem, to our Samaria, the area around us, to the uttermost parts of the world as we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to 1 John. And guess what? This will probably be the last time I preach from this for a while. Hey, I know. It's been several weeks. Hey, it's okay. Uh, uh, you know, thanks again. I've been on sabbatical. I, I did get a cup from sabbatical from Grace Maranatha uh, Camp and Retreat Center. Uh, so even Jane didn't holler too much that I brought me another coffee cup, but you know. It is me, of course, and uh, so I had a great time at sabbatical this week, and I'll be sharing uh, a little bit more on the weeks ahead of what God laid on my heart about some areas we're going to look at uh, in the near future as a church. Uh, But we finish up today with a compelling conclusion, and you know, 1 John, I hope it's been an encouragement and a challenge to you. I know some of you said, gosh, Glenn, I've really enjoyed this because we've gotten pretty much in depth. It's not just fancy little words and gloss over, but we've really taken a hard look at the scripture. And what does it mean? How does, what was John trying to say and how does it change our lives? So we find a a final exhortation here concerning the Christian life. Uh, This passage that he finishes up with, remember he's writing to believers. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 John chapter 5. We're going to pick up at verse 13 and move right along. He first talks about the certainty of life. He tells us here in in verse 13 these words, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. Now, man, when I get down and out, when I get a little nervy, when I get in my own life thinking, God, where are you? God, what, why did this happen? You know, God, what, you know, I I even thought that this week. Uh, You know, I had this, I got to fish a little bit there at the camp and so I'm just catching perch right and left and a few little bass and stuff for a little four-pound test ultralight. All I want to do is just catch and release. That's all I was doing. So I'm casting out there. It's getting dark. So I put on this nice, uh, expensive float, you know, $4.89 if you want to exact. Because it's lighted. You break this little thing. It's a lighted float, and you can see it. You know, when you get older, it's a little hard to see those things bobbing up and down out there in the light. So I catch some stuff. So I cast it out there, and I'm, I'm just kind of going along. And I must have got a hold of one of the big northern in there. Well, on a four-pound test, I let, took off the drag. I'm going along, going along. I just want to see what it is. All, all of a sudden, I forgot that I had this float on there that I really don't want to lose. I'm concerned about, oh, come on, rise. Let's see, I want to see what I've got. See, you know, he's going all over the place. And guess what happened? Boom, snap. Next thing I know, my float's going across. And I'm like, oh. Yeah, and you know, my first thought was, God, I didn't get to see him. And I'm thinking, oh, wait a minute. How do you know it was really there? Is that faith? So God was teaching me something, too. Don't worry about a $4 float, you know. And, you know, and, it, and he got hung out there somewhere, so somebody will pick it up in the kayaks and stuff. But uh, as I watched it go, I began to think about how did I know there was something on there. It wasn't just catching on the bottom of a stick or something. 
Absolutely not, because it was running back and forth. Did I know what I had? I could kind of assume, because I know there are a walleye, northern, and big bass. And it did not act like a bass. It didn't pull like a bass. And I don't catch many walleye, but it felt like a northern or a big catfish. There are no catfish out there, she said. So, and it wasn't a carp, because it would have just snapped it right off immediately. So I'm thinking, okay, God, in my Christian life, how do I know when you're there when I don't feel you sometimes? How do I know I see your movement? And that's what John is telling us here. He sees us moving around. He, he, he wants us to understand that when we believe in the name of the Son of God, we know that we have eternal life. So when you get doubtful, when you think, oh, God, I just messed up again. Remember some of the songs we sang? It's about grace. Grace says it doesn't matter. Others tell you you're a failure, but grace says it doesn't matter. The cross has already won the war. When you and I accept Christ as our personal Savior, when we make Him the Lord of our life, when that, when that transformation, that relationship takes place, it makes all the difference in the world. John emphasizes here he's writing to the believer. and You know, we're a couple thousand years beyond what John's writing, but the same is true for all of us who believe today. So whenever you get to that place and you're kind of doubting where is God, maybe you'll think of the fish running and you can say, I can't see it, but I feel it, I know it, I'm experiencing it. It's real. May you find that in your life if that's where you are. See, there were many in his community of faith there that were confused and being misled by all the false teachers. That's what the book of John has been all about, if you remember. And the faith of Christ, he wants us to understand, it's not a temporary thing. It's, it, it's a faith that brings eternal life. It's a faith that is life-changing. There is no need to fear the adversity of our life or even in, in life or even death because God has it handled. The cross has already won the war. The battle is over. You know, we, we are secure in Christ we are secure because Christ completed the work on the cross. When he rose from the grave, triumphant over sin and death, because he lives, we have assurance in him. We too will live again. That's our association and our assurance. But look at the appeal in verse 14. And this is the confidence we have towards him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Again, John's wanting the believers to recognize we can talk to God and he understands. And if it's according to his will, he's going to give it to us when we ask with confidence. John assures us as believers of the great confidence we have available in Christ. We are promised that God will hear us when we pray according to his will for our lives. We can pray confidently knowing he hears us. And so many times I think we go to him in prayer and sometimes we just go like, thank you Lord for our food, Amen. Just, just repeat, now lay me down to sleep, blah, 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 blah. Our Father which art in heaven, blah. we just say words that we've learned to repeat. But then sometimes we cry out. Sometimes we get to the point we don't even know what words to say, and the Bible says the Holy Spirit connects with us with God, and we can't even do it ourselves. John is saying that we have the confidence to approach the creator of all this around us and say, God, I don't understand. God, why is this happening? God, I'm excited for the news that you just blessed us with. God, what happened? God, whatever you're going through, whatever mountain or whatever valley or anywhere in between that we all walk, God is with us. So don't just count off the prayers that you've learned as kids or cadence, but really talk to God 
in prayer. And, and prayer is not just talking. Prayer is also listening and reflecting. So when we ask according to his will, he hears us. And then look at verse 15, the accommodation he makes where he says, if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. He says, you can know that he heard you. If you believe it, you know he did it. And if he did, we can know we had the request. We are sure that God not only hears our prayers of faith, but he will answer our prayers as well. So whatever you're struggling with today, whatever your walk is, wherever you are, it's okay. We all walk different. You know, this is a journey. Life is not just cut and dried. You know, uh, Maranatha, Maranatha Bible Camp is out on I-80, out towards North Platte, uh, out in Nebraska. And it's some pretty country out there. And you know, Nebraska had all the snow and all that stuff and all the floods. And as I drove there, I didn't see a whole lot of the flood damage, you know. I mean, I, up on this end, yeah. And then when I came back, I, rem I was reminded of how much flood damage we have. And then I, they were working on I-29 coming home, and, and there were some spots where, you know, you literally, oh, that's why they have the cones there. That real part of that highway's missing. Somebody better not be speeding around here at night cutting around that. They'll drop off. And then part of you thinks, is there a hole under me? You know? The power and the massiveness of that we forget. And you say, oh, Glenn, we haven't forgotten. Sometimes we do. And you see all the damage and all the, the frustration that our families of our church and friends and, and many of us have gone through of looking at that and, and praying for that. And I was reminded again, don't put it out of sight, out of mind. Continue to pray for that. That's part of what he tells us when we ask in prayer. He'll remind us if we'll listen. As Matthew 7, 7 says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and the door shall be opened unto you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. The key is praying according to God's will. God, I want a new car. God, I want a red car. God, I want a fast car. God, I want that five-window Chevy pickup. Oh yeah, I've got a nice little Chevy Colorado 2004. Does wonderful, great trip. Does not have my five windows like my 56. And I saw one of those on Facebook thinking, oh, turn into a rat rod, only $3,000. And it was just a piece of, you know, it was just a cab and a flatbed. And I'm thinking, oh, oh. now I'm too old to mess with that. So it's just memories up here, right? But then I'm driving this little car that just gets me wherever I want to go. And I'm thinking, gee, God, remind me, I've got what I need. Do we have those things? It's according to your will. Remember he says, seek first his kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Matthew 6, That's what he's driving at here. John is saying to us, hang with God. Understand. Be in the certainty of life. Now look at the conviction of life, verses 16 and 17. Here we come to a couple verses that have been debated for centuries. Uh, at first, it seems John's completely shifted and gone to a different train of thought, but they tie directly to the previous verses that he has. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, that, a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. 
All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Now, what is he talking about here? Um, All sin ultimately leads to death. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So I'm kind of like, okay, so what are we doing here? You know, I know all the arguments and five or six different ways it's been interpreted by great Bible scholars through the years. And some of them just don't make any sense to me. And, and as I really process this and begin to think about it, uh, he, he wants us to understand, I think, that it should be understood in the sense not punished by death. Literally in the Greek, that's what it's saying. It leads to death. Not punished by death is what it really means. The distinction between sins, which are for death and which sins are not. Okay, but they all are, God. What, what's John trying to tell me here? When we see a, a fellow believer engaging in willful sin, we have a responsibility to pray and cry out on the behalf of that person. When we see a person that's erring, that is, is doing their own thing, instead of talking about them, instead of gossiping, go to the Lord in prayer. God, heal them. God, bring them back to your fold. God, clean up their life. God, Get them back to where they need to be with you. Many tend to gossip about others who are engaged in open sin. There's plenty of condemnation being offered today around others, even Christians. But are we weak in our praying for the restoration? We are instructed to make sure the community, we're not instructed, I guess to say, to make sure the community knows of their failure, but we are instructed pray for them and for their desire to be brought back to God. As Paul writes to church at Galatia when he says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too to be tempted. So John was talking to the church in those days. Apparently they understood what he meant because he didn't go into it very much. Uh, and I believe the best approach to understanding this is this way, um, is to see who is John writing to in the context of the whole book of 1 John. What, who's he writing to? Uh, within the overall context of 1 John, remember he's writing against the false teachers. We call them the successionists. Uh, they were regarded as unbelievers, antichrist. If you go back to the first series of stuff in 1 John, you catch that. The sin that, that leads to death is probably the sin of successionists. Remember that sin was simply this. The denial that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh and that his death is necessary for salvation. For John could also be referring to those who deny the Lord uh, in salvation, rejecting his grace and forgiveness um, through the leading of the Holy Spirit. We hear it otherwise in Matthew's called uh, even Jesus says, Therefore I tell you every sin and blasphemy for be given except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, giving to other, giving to Satan literally what belongs to God saying he's the one that's doing it instead of God. Uh, it's not something we do, per se. Uh, it's not a, oh, I'm in, I messed up, I lied, so therefore I'm unforgiven, it's unpardonable. You know, the only really unpardonable sin is the rejection of the offer of salvation from our Lord and his finished work. If you don't, it won't be forgiven when you die. This doesn't imply we should not pray for the lost or try to reach them, but it does confirm that God will not overlook the rejection of his son in salvation. For once someone passes through the gates of death, their eternal destiny is forever settled. We cannot, our prayers cannot alter what has already happened with that. I think it's what John's driving at here. 
John is not discouraging prayer. Uh, we are, are not God and we'll never know what the last opportunity is for that person. My, uh, my belief, and I've seen it through my years in ministry, I've led people to come to know Christ on their deathbed in their 80s and 90s, over 100 one of a person. Uh, I've watched people pray with them and walk out of the room at the hospital and before I even got down the hall, they coded out and died. I can remember that. And I, that's one of those anchor points in my life. He wasn't a Christian two minutes. Was he saved? You betcha. You think he had a lot of regrets of what he could have done? You betcha. Our responsibility is to share the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. Leave the results to God. Quit playing God. I think that's what he's telling us here. Pray for our brothers. As long as there are breath in their bodies, there's a possibility of salvation. The same is true for the believer who's wandered away in this life and wandered into sin and wallowed in it. As long as they are living, there's an opportunity for repentance and restoration. Go back to Ananias and Sapphira. Go back to Paul writes to those that are dying because they're misusing the Lord's Supper. You can find it throughout the Scripture. God takes it very serious about sin. Uh, when one has crossed the line with God, you can't pray a different outcome. We don't know where that line is. All right, moving along. The confidence in life, verses 18 and following. Here John offers the final uh, exhortation as a reminder of the many benefits we enjoy in Christ. He speaks of our character in verse 18, for we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. Ah, but he who has been born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. He who has been, that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. John is, is pointing out here, you're not, it's not your lifestyle anymore. It doesn't mean we don't sin, but you're not going to run to that as your first mode. But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. No doubt John is speaking to the church and those that are born again in Christ here. Those in Christ are not perfect, we're human. We ne- it's not that we never sin, we just no longer enjoy sin or purposely seek an opportunity to sin like we once did. We are bought with the price. We are, we are no longer our own, as the Scripture says. We belong to the Lord and obligated to live a life that pleases Him. Look at verse 19, the comprehension here, our comprehension. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that we are of God and the whole world, I think King James says, of wickedness. It relates directly to our character and how we live our lives in the world, but it also reveals our need for continual awareness of what's going on around us. We live among a world that does not share our faith. The majority of folks today are not living a life pleasing to the Lord. Uh, They're living to satisfy the flesh. The world is consumed with wickedness, and as long as there are humans on this earth, Satan is on the prowl. Sin and wickedness will always be with us. We must be attentive on our watch, walking close to the Lord and being in constant prayer that we don't stumble and fall. Remember what Peter says in 1 Peter 5, in verse 8 through 10, he says this, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the grace of the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. 
you think I am just white, there's nothing worse that can happen to me, remember God will restore you. John reminds us of the gracious coming of our Lord to provide for salvation, but he also reminds us he walks with us in this life as well. As John closes this letter, he wants to remind the believer yet again of a relationship with the Lord. All the Savior in Christ and enjoy the abundance he provides. We can rest in the assurance of our eternal life in heaven with God the Father and his Son and our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. What a gracious love we serve. Remember the passage in John that Jesus says to his disciples as he's getting ready to go to the cross, he says to them, let not your heart be troubled. John 14. Believe in God, believe also in me, for in my Father's house are many mansions, dwelling places, rooms, whatever translation to use. If it were not so, I, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And finally, he closes out with a verse that seems kind of like, ding, why is this tagged on? 21, little children, the challenge, keep yourself from idols. To me, I think it's, this is my own opinion, I, you know, I think he just kind of like, oh yeah, by the way, here's something else you need to remember. You know, sometimes we'll write a letter, we'll put something on the stick there, but it's very important. We know there were many false doctrines being promoted in John's day, as well as many idolatrous religions around. And he had just gone through all these things about the church there, what's going on, and how to walk with God, and how to avoid all these things. The people would have been exposed to such idolatry, and John knew there was, there was a possibility of corruption. The key he seeks to stress is spiritual purity, the same truths that he's taught all of 1 John, so it's not something that's just added on, by the way. They were not to allow anything to have superiority over their relationship with Christ in their lives. Society may have embraced such idols, but they were expected to refrain from idol worship and to sin in the company of such. And so are we. Our society may not be filled in this world here with idols of wood and stone like those of John's day, but we must guard against idolatry for Anything we allow to come between us and the Lord is an idol, simply put. If we place more emphasis on other people, other activities, even ideals, we have created an idol to be worshipped. We must guard our hearts against anything that seeks to place something in place of God in our life. I hope this has been an illuminating journey through the book of 1 John. Love's been the major theme and will will never reach the lost and encourage one another or serve the Lord apart from love. The epistle was written to challenge and strengthen us as believers. So go back and read the whole thing. It's real short. I know we've taken several weeks to, to break it down. But when you read it as a book, when you read it as a letter, it, it should really grab you. John spoke concerning that personal relationship with Christ, even providing marks by which we can know that we have Christ in our heart. Do you know that Christ lives in your heart? Do you know that you have a relationship with him? Guys, it's not about how often we go to church or what we wear or what we do or what denomination tag we hang or how old or how young, how we look. What? Pick anything. It's about our relationship with Christ. You never know when God will call us home. As a preacher, I've, I've done funerals from stillborns to 107, I think was the oldest I figured. Anything in between. I've seen people that were 
perfectly well. Tom Bueller was on our prayer list, pastor at Watson. It worked a lot in the floods or passed away this week. Right before I left for sabbatical, I called him. We were talking on the phone. I said, hey, man, I know you've recovered. How's it going? He says, well, I kind of lose my words a little bit when I'm preaching, but God's good and it's going great. Two days later, he's had a stroke and he died. My brain did not even think. That'd be the last time I talked to my friend over here, Andre. You know? We never know. Be ready. You may think you've got the world by the tail. I'm young. It doesn't matter. Have you settled that important part of relationship with Jesus Christ? That's the most important decision you'll ever make. Do you know him as your Savior? Are you confident in your salvation? If not, you can be. Seek him as he leads you. Let's pray. God bless us. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for the book of 1 John that, that points us to you, that points about how we can understand our relationship with you and be firm and, and know you as our Lord and Savior. That you wrote this that we may know. We don't have to doubt anymore. Lord, bless our congregation, our family, our friends that are with us today. May your word strengthen them, empower them, and encourage them in their walk with you, whatever mountaintop or whatever valley they're in today. Lord, bless us as a community of faith as we seek to strive to share the gospel here and literally around the world. Bless our endeavors. Help us to have a great time in the Lord. We fellowship now. Use this food to nourish our bodies and the fellowship to nourish our souls. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen.